0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. Handcrafted, expert approved with over 20 international blind-tasting awards. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly.
3: Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit korin.com.
1: Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $175 billion specialty food industry. If you're interested in becoming a member, visit SpecialtyFood.com. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. Each episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, Julie Gallagher, Content Director at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode and so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the worlds of food, drink, and agriculture and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's guest is Lin Jiang, founder and CEO of Ishi Foods. Lin has taken an old school oatmeal breakfast, packed it with superfood ingredients, and given it new flavor based on her favorite Asian desserts. Lin, I love that these convenient breakfasts are based on a traditional Chinese dessert that you consumed at breakfast time as a child. Can you tell me about that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a really beautiful uh, little coastal town in China called Qingdao, where i known for our beer and brewery. Uh, So when I was a kid, my mom would make all kinds of porridges, hot cereals with seeds, nuts, uh, traditional Asian ingredients. Um, And uh, I would eat that for breakfast. And every day when I get back home from school, uh, my mom had some really creative recipes. And one of my favorite recipes of hers is black sesame cereal. And uh, she uses black sesame, uh, black soybean, walnuts, almonds, all kinds of seeds and nuts combined with rice uh, and made it into a really nutty, toasty, semi-sweet bowl of delicious hot cereal, uh, which was my favorite food growing up. Uh, and I know that was really good for me. It was really nutritious. It didn't need any sugar. Uh, and then in 2014, I came to the States for college, uh, studied finance, ended up working in consulting, and I worked long hours, traveling all the time. Uh, I just really missed my mom's cooking. Uh, I wanted to make my own diet better, more nutritious, uh, but I also didn't want to sacrifice the taste. So I thought of uh, the traditional hot cereal that my mom used to make for me. And in the meantime, uh, I was eating a lot of oatmeal. Uh, I thought, why don't I combine oats and my mom's recipe together, um, to make this a convenient breakfast item? And to be honest, I thought oatmeal could use a little bit of innovation, a- excitement. Uh, and there are a few, you know, traditional oatmeal flavors on the market. Uh, the common ones are apple cinnamon, maple brown sugar. But I got tired of those flavors after a while, and the products I found on the market are loaded with sugar. And I just remember the hot cereals um, I grew up eating didn't really have any sugar. The flavors all came from you know, the superfood ingredients itself. Um, so I thought, well, there's really a great opportunity to combine the best of the East and a traditional breakfast here that could use innovation uh, and create something new that worked for me. And uh, now uh, Ishii Oatmeal, our product, is enjoyed by a lot of people all over the country. Um, So that's our story.
1: Great. I love that it's that the the oatmeals are they sound so hearty and delicious, and they probably really um, provided a lot of sustenance to carry you through your day um, as a child. And of course, now, can you take me back to when um, you tried to first launch this as a brand?
4: Yeah, so that was 2019. Okay, Uh, when spring 2019, when I just moved from Boston to Chicago to start my MBA program at uh, University of Chicago mm-hmm. uh, Booth Business School. So uh, I was already making my black sesame oatmeal, my red bean oatmeal uh, in my own kitchen, eating it for breakfast. My old friends, coworkers, and uh, fr- you know people I met at school really liked the oatmeal I was creating at home. So they encouraged me to commercialize the recipes um, at that time, I was a student, I was I only spent four or five years in the States, really yeah. didn't know much about CPG industry or how, how to launch a, a food company or a company at all. So I started uh, Googling about everything
1: uh-huh.
4: um, and uh, then I found out okay I need to get a food manager's license and find a, find a commercial kitchen to make recipes and sell it in uh, for commercial uses so I did all that and uh, then called a lot of local grocery stores farmer's market uh, yoga studios to get a demo table I wanted to see if Other people, you know, if you know, uh, people that's not my friends will enjoy these recipes, will really like these flavors. So I did over 50 demos in the first year, almost a demo every week. Um, And uh, I would just provide people a sample and get feedback and then I was selling products online handmade products online so very quickly I got a lot of great feedback I knew there was an interest and we were selling really well online as well and got a lot of organic traction through word and mouth. Um, so that was the that was the very first year of testing learning gauging interest in the market which uh, set a really great foundation for us later on to launch the brand.
1: Okay. And then did you secure funding during this time? You were still going to school at this time, right? Yeah.
4: Um, so at that time I didn't know anything about fundraising. I was using the, uh, part of my student loan, the living portion (laughs) for, uh, the, for my R and D and, uh, demo tables. Usually they're really cheap or I try to get as many free tables as possible. Um, and, I did a Kickstarter campaign to help me buy more ingredients and packaging. Um, so I did that in March 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic, which was a really, uh, it's a great success for our type of products. That's not very common on Kickstarter. And it was also beginning of pandemic. We had a successful campaign of over 170 backers and raised over $11,000, um, to buy a, professional packaging packaging that's not from Amazon uh, and at that time I also got interest from uh, the Chicagoland local Whole Foods stores wow. so I got 27 Whole Foods stores that are willing to bring my products and I uh, have this $10,000 to buy packaging so I thought well uh, I have to really be fully committed to my oatmeal project and really bring this to life and then we from Whole Foods I created uh, more results and we leverage the whole food sales data to raise money from angel investors and institutional investors later on. I launched in August 2020 in whole foods and we were still making products in our commercial kitchen. Okay. My co-founder, his wife and me, we have a three-person production line in commercial kitchen. Uh, and we, we mix uh, the oatmeal using a big blender and pack everything by hand. And uh, I would use a hairdryer. My job was to use a hairdryer to seal this shrink band, this plastic shrink band on our cup. We don't have that anymore. By the time, that's the best we can do is sealing mm-hmm. everything by hand. Uh, we would produce products for eight hours on a Sunday to supply local Whole Foods stores and drive to every store.
1: Wow. Yeah. That sounds kind of stressful, was it?
4: <laughs> uh there were stressful moments, but I think end of day, it's always a really rewarding, fulfilling, fun day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really, I the way I think about it is, is, do we call it a stressful moment? Do we call it a stressful day? I think there were definitely stressful moments, but mm-hmm. very fun experience.
1: Tell me about the different varieties that are available. And then do you just add hot water to these cups or how does it work?
4: Yeah, so we have uh, five flavors in single-serving cups and in family-sized pouches. Uh, you can just add hot water, let it sit for a minute, uh, just like how you cook instant oats, or using a microwave um, to microwave for 30 seconds. Uh, also, you can make our oatmeal into overnight oats. So we use a blend of traditional road oats and quick oats, which enables our oatmeal to cook fast, but also produce a really good texture, uh, which makes great oats uh, uh, overnight oats.
1: Okay. And what about the, uh, the superfood ingredients?
4: Yes. So, uh, we have five distinct flavors. Uh, we have the black sesame flavor, taro bubble tea, uh, matcha latte flavor, a red bean flavor, and a uh, sweet osmanthus flavor, which is a herbal tea. Um, so every flavor uses a unique blend of superfood ingredients, um, that, produces the distinct flavor, traditional flavor, but also com- the nutrition supports a functional benefit. Um, so I worked du- during this journey, I worked with a registered dietitian to perfect our recipe. Uh, for example, the black sesame has black sesame, chia seeds, walnut, um, the taro bubble tea, has 100% organic, pure taro. That's really, really hard to find in any stores or any taro flavor products on the market. Uh, and we blend that with coconut milk, black tea, blueberry, and chia seeds. Uh, and taro bubble tea oatmeal is our best seller. And this just blend of wholesome, you know, real ingredients, superfood ingredients, produce a really great flavor. Um, and it's also just really
1: clean. Mm-hmm. Sounds delicious so where so you mentioned Whole Foods? How else are your products distributed? and I love that you did demos in yoga studios, and you're clearly thinking outside the box, so tell me where people can find these products now
4: sure, so we are in uh Midwestern Whole Foods right now, but uh in August um, which is coming up, will be distributed. Uh, nationwide with whole foods we'll be in every single whole Foods stores we're also in all of the meyer stores in the midwest okay um, bristol farms gilson's uh, check out our website we are distributed through natural and tr- conventional channel throughout the country uh, in the meantime we're also selling on our website which is dot and we're on amazon as well
1: Okay, I noticed from your website that you have an interesting subscription service. Tell me about that. Yes.
4: Uh, So what we noticed from uh, the first year is uh, we have a really great loyal customer base and really high repeat purchase rate. Um, I think a few uh, factors explains it. Uh, One is oatmeal is a habitual food. Uh, So people that eat oatmeal really like to eat it um, very often. Um, Two... The flavors we have, um, you know, we have five unique, distinct flavors. Uh, you can have one flavor every day for five days without <laughs> repeating it. Uh, also, the, all of our products are uh, sugar-free. So we sweeten it with organic stevia. Mm-hmm. Um, so nutrition-wise, it works for uh, just a larger audience diet. Um, so we found our customers... Um, tend to be very loyal so we started a subscription plan to help customers save and also just get their oatmeal without really uh thinking or hopping on our website all the time
1: okay so can they mix and match the different varieties oh
4: yeah absolutely so we have different bundles uh, or it can do single flavor as well
1: okay And talk to me a little bit about um, any supply chain issues you may have encountered. I think there was an oat shortage happening. Can you tell me about how that affected your business?
4: Yes, there is a global, there was a, well, there still is a global oat shortage um, because of a, it started as a drought in Canada last year. Mm -hmm. And very quickly, all the biggest oat suppliers across the globe uh, are running out of oats one of our suppliers told us uh, just yesterday that their oats were completely reserved for the next year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they they don't even have any oats left for next year. Um, So we experienced the oat shortage. Um, So the way our team tackled this was our, our entire team, including sales, including marketing, everyone started reaching out to oat suppliers, and we got... You know, a pallet of oats here, a pallet of oats there from Canada, from Wyoming, and we were looking at chili suppliers. Um, so the entire team helped uh, the company find a few old suppliers to get through the really the worst time during the pandemic. And now we have established relationships with one of the biggest oat suppliers, and we have quite a few in the pipeline uh so we are also trying to just stock up in general because we're growing really quickly and uh it's hard to say that you know if we would grow beyond our forecast next year so our supply chain team is working hard to stock up we already secured our oats for next year already okay so now yeah we are uh on the other side of the the supply chain issue but it's still critical so our team is uh checking with our suppliers uh, on a weekly basis
1: okay and you're working with a co-packer now yeah
4: um that was part of the supply chain challenges too because a lot of co-packers had labor labor issues uh, and also had scheduling issues during the pandemic Uh, so we started with one co-packer um but uh, then they run into production planning issues and labor shortages so we just finished onboarding a second co-packer which is a lot larger and we are at a stage where we're ready for their volume Uh, we're even looking at a third co-packer to potentially onboard later this year Um, so uh, this leads to uh, a priority, business priority this year for me, which is to establish operational processes and robust supply chain for us to scale next
1: year. Okay. And now you have the volume now that you're going to be supplying all of the Whole Foods stores to work with that um, yes, absolutely. larger co-packer. That's great. Um, have you done in-store sampling before? We have not.
4: So we kind of launched in the middle of the pandemic, um, but... The in-store sampling demos just started again. So Whole Foods has started their demos, uh, I believe, uh, last year, uh, last fall. Um, so this year, as we launch global, we're looking to start demoing again. Uh, so I think we have, uh, a round of demos scheduled for Whole Foods in October. So I'm, I'm going to go to every region for the first demo. I'm super excited to go back to store and start talking to a customer and share the products.
1: Great. And how did you do it? How did you expand distribution through Whole Foods nationwide? So for Whole Foods, we
4: uh, leveraged our local sales data um, to tell a good story. So we we started in Chicagoland Whole Foods. Um, for an Asian-inspired oatmeal you know, product, a lot of people would probably think, oh, you want to start the brand in California or in New York. But the company is based in Chicago. That's the store that I walked into during the pandemic. So we started there. Um, but we did really well. So the buyer... Uh, believe, really believe that we could uh, do even much better if we go nationwide. Um, so that's kind of the story, the success story we have building Whole Foods, uh, and also the shows like Fancy Food and also um, the other shows really help us connect with the buyer face to face. I really find a lot of value from these in-person meetings where we can, sh- I can tell my brand story to a buyer and uh, have them try our products at the booth. Uh, so uh, all of these things really help with sales.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what's something that you know now that you wish you would have known back when you first embarked on this journey?
4: I think uh, maybe, maybe the biggest thing is uh, operation, supply chain. So when we first started uh, working with a co-packer, we only found one. I wish we found the two because very quickly, you know, when the one co-packer ran into issues, there's really nothing my team can do. We have to wait for the co-packer. So we have been, we were out of stock for a while during the pandemic. Um, but the good news is we learned our lesson and we have on onboarded more co-packer. And uh, uh, going forward, I. I you know, we are really excited to really grow our supply chain.
1: Okay. So we're almost out of time, but before you go, we'd like for you to participate in our final segment. It's called Take 5, where we pose five questions to our guest. But first, let's pause for a break.
2: I'm Dylan Hoyer, host of Meet and 3 on HRN, Here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods at a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council, as coming from sustainably managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the planet, through which they support HRN, as well as Sacred, based in Jalisco, where together they transform agave byproducts and wastewater into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo, Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly.
3: Koren's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koren is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hi, I'm Katie
2: Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of HRN. HRN is dedicated to amplifying voices from all across our food system. Today, I'm asking listeners to take part in our summer membership drive by helping sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, you can receive some great HRN swag including the HRN cap, wine carrier, or a special spice set from burlap and barrel. By becoming a member, you'll play an essential role in keeping nonprofit Food Radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org/donate to become a member today.
1: Thank you for your support. Okay, here are your five questions for our final segment, take five. What's your favorite thing about the specialty food industry?
4: I love the innovation. There's always so much innovation going on in every category. uh, And the innovation is driven by consumer trends. So it's just exciting and it's what consumers are looking for.
1: And what do you like most about being a specialty food association member? My favorite
4: thing has to be the fancy food shows. Uh, So we're at the summer fancy food show and there's just so much energy here. The convention center is packed and all the buyers and uh, all the vendors here are really excited to meet in person. And we have met some really great retailers and other founders here. So uh, I'm super excited to uh, continue doing fancy food shows.
1: Great, and if you weren't running a business, what would you be doing?
4: I will probably be an artist and painting full time. I'm a huge painter. Uh, that's the RC side of me. But I work in consulting, which was, made me realize that you know I didn't want to commit my life to something I don't feel passionate about.
1: Okay, and what's the one piece of advice you'd give a new food business?
4: I think the most important foundational factor for a successful company is to have a great product. Uh, it sounds like a simple piece of advice. It was one of the, uh, probably the first advice I got. And I think that helped me a lot because I spent a lot of time improving my recipe and now the product is uh, is built for retail scaling. Um, so I, there are some companies that really rush to market And then later on, have to change their formulation. I think if a founder can spend more time working on the recipe, working on the product uh, at the very beginning, then um, they will be able to have a great foundation to launch a business uh, and build a sustainable business in the long term.
1: Okay. A big thank you to Lin Jiang for joining us today. You can find out more about this show at specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Lynn and to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast. Spill and Dish is powered by Simplecast.